I completely understand you're not interested. I'm sure you get these calls all the time. Give me 30 seconds. If you don't like what you hear, I'll hang up on myself. Hello and welcome to Pillars of Wealth Creation, where we talk about creating financial success with a special focus on business and real estate. I'm your host, Todd Dexheimer. Now, let's get to it. Hey, real quick before we get started, first of all, I wanted to thank everybody for joining us on the show and for listening uh, to all my loyal listeners. I really appreciate you, uh, you know, continuing to listen and support the show. If you can go on to iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, wherever you listen and subscribe to the show, that would be fantastic. Spread the word too. I'd love to, you know, have this reach more and more people. So if you could share it on social media or, or, or and just talk about it to other people, that would be fantastic. And the last thing is if you can go on to iTunes and give us a rating review, uh, hopefully five stars, that would be great as well. It just helps us spread the word more and it helps us get continue to get uh, really good guests on the show. We've had some fantastic guests and I just want to be able to continue to bring fantastic value to you. Go on to our Facebook page too, Pillars of Wealth Facebook page. And I'd like to hear from, from you as a listener of you know, what you're doing in business, what you've got going on, what you are maybe struggling with or uh, being successful with, and then what we can do on the show to help push you to that next level. Maybe uh, questions we can ask our guests, maybe guests that we can get on the show to talk about certain topics, certain things that are really neat, you're needing uh, some, some extra support with. So provide for us some feedback on Facebook. Um, and you can also share this out on, on social media. That would be fantastic as well. I appreciate it. I appreciate you being a, uh, being a either new listener or a loyal listener. I definitely appreciate it. And we will get started with the show. All right. Ready? Yep. Let's roll. Hey, welcome back to Pillars of Wealth Creation. I'm your host, Todd Dykes-Hermer. Today, I've got Sterling White. Sterling, how are you doing today? I am doing phenomenal. Tune in, everyone. We're about to bring a tsunami. <laughs> <laughs> awesome, awesome. I love the energy. I love it. Well, Sterling, a little bit about him. He is an investor, business owner on a mission to make the world a better place through principled and efficient real estate investment. Today, his focus is on purchasing income-producing multifamily properties while scaling his 400-unit portfolio across the nation through the company he co-founded, which is Holdfolio. Well, Sterling... First of all, we got to get some more uh, definition. You've got a scaling 400-unit portfolio. Tell me a little bit about how you got started and then how you got to 400 units because you're a young guy, and I always like to see uh, young guys with uh, that are actually doing some good stuff. So congrats on that first, and let, let's get into it. All right. Thanks so much. And I'll take it way back. So I've always had the entrepreneurship bug in my early elementary days. My first product was Kool-Aid. So <laughs> I lived where ultimately uh, where I had to figure out and make ends meet to get the things that I wanted. So that's how entrepreneurship came, selling products to make money, to buy the things I wanted. And fast forward to how I got started in real estate was construction. When 2008, 2009, where things weren't going so well, got my hands dirty on that, wanted to shift more to the investing side, did some single families uh, and found a mentor who I started working for for free and then just purchased a little over 150, which I still own to date and made the full transition to multifamily about two, two and a half years ago. Well, how did you purchase that many properties? Wait, what was your secret of doing that? Because I think a lot of people, that's, a, that's you know, 100, you said 150 properties? Well, that was the single family side, yeah, yes. Right, 150 single families. That's a few, right? <laughs> Just a little. <laughs> so how did you purchase 150 single family properties? Yeah, so we did, uh, my partner and I, uh, who is the behind the scenes operations underwriting phenomenal on that side, shout out to you, Jacob. And through that was we were we started with 
uh, friends and family. And in our market, Indianapolis, you get very affordable houses. So we were buying these uh, 30,000 30,000, put 10 into them, 10 to 15, rent them for 800. So we were taking those and we had our friends and family and we would be invested and then we would get outside investors to cash ourselves out. So instead of a loan cashing ourselves out, we uh, were able to get other investors in, give them a return on their cash. We would take our original cash and then just go buy more deals. Hmm. Interesting. And you guys were able to then scale that. When did you start buying again? 2014 for the company Holdfolio that okay. uh, started. Okay. And, and were these mainly foreclosure properties or were they just kind of a mixed bag? Yeah, it was a mix. There was probate. Uh, there was just general mom and pop owners. Yeah, I would say a mix. So why, you know, you got 150 houses, uh, I'm assuming overall your portfolio is cash flowing. Uh, probably some properties are losing money. Some properties are making money. I've got single families. I know how that goes. <laughs> um, but, uh, but overall, you're, you're probably cash flowing. Why not just continue and, and buy another 150, 300, 400, 500 more single family houses? Because the management was very intensive. So we, we took a step back and our original plan was to have, I believe once when we started the company, year five, to have well over a thousand single families. And at 150, it was, I mean, we, we had the infrastructure as far as the, the property managers, leasing agent, maintenance techs, but we looked at multifamily and saw that hey, over these 150 single families, there was close to 150 transactions versus when we bought our first 46 unit, that was one transaction, one seller. And so we just looked at those things, the pros and cons of single family versus multifamily. And then it just made more sense to just make the shift. So was that the main uh, reason it was just that you went, wow, the economy's a scale. We're just not going to be able to do this efficiently and let's move over to the multifamily. Or were there other decisions behind it? There was also the ability to have more control. So a single family house is more, okay, that house across the street sold for this, this sold for this. On multifamily, what well, for my research and what I've experienced is it's based upon the NOI. So if you can drive up that NOI, a, a investor, someone's going to look at it as a business and say, okay, well, I'll buy it on a 7% or 8% uh, cap rate. Yeah. And that's one thing I really like about multifamily. Now it's still emotional, right? Because, and it's, there's, there's things that are tied to it and everybody's got different business strategies. So like in today's market where it's, it's fairly hot, really active market, um, prices aren't, they're not exactly perfect. We can't just say, you know, this property is going to sell for an 8% cap, uh, rate and that's what we're going to buy it at. Oh, I wish there was eight caps around still. Um, <laughs> I agree. <laughs> but we can't just necessarily say that. But for the, at the same time, for the most part, you're right. Uh, they are based on financials. You're buying a business, whereas a single family house, you're coming in uh, as a holdfolio and you guys are trying to buy it as a business. But you've got, you know, Jim and Susie who just got married and they're trying to buy it uh, for their own house and they're emotionally attached and exactly. they're willing to pay way more. And when the market goes up and people get really crazy and they want to still, still buy, those go up. So that's good and that's bad as a single family investor. Which it's, is what we're experiencing now. Those houses we were buying that cheaper just... I mean, just about, I wouldn't say doubled, but same house we bought for 30,000, people are buying for 50, 55. Yeah, yeah. So it's work. a, yeah, and, and probably the numbers don't quite work as well, I would assume, um, for you to be purchasing those. Now, the cash flow just doesn't look attractive, I'm assuming. Not at all. Um, yeah, so, yeah, that, that definitely what I, you know, I, I agree. Same thing. Single family, multifamily. Uh, there's pros and cons to both. But when you're talking about um, purchasing, I mean, you've got an emotional buy in single family versus uh, a business and financial buy in multifamily. Exactly. 
Um, cool. So you guys, you bought uh, a 46 unit, I think you said? Yes, that was our first one. Okay. And, uh, and, and how has that transition been? Have you, have you now totally changed your focus to multifamily? And I guess take me through, through that process and, and where you're at right now. Yeah, so now the complete shift has been to multifamily, and we're slowly uh, divesting or selling our single families. I mean, they're still cash flowing, so it's not like a fire sale or anything. But right now, the com- complete shift has been to just uh, acquiring multifamily apartments. And I know you guys are doing quite a bit of off-market uh, kind of advertising and trying to contact directly to owners. Are you still doing that? I should I should ask that first. Are you still doing that? Yes, still getting kicked in the face. That is correct. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I love that because you know you. There's a lot of people uh, that listen to this podcast that you know either invest in multifamily, want to invest in multifamily. Or at least interested in it, uh, and there's a lot of people that say you can't market directly to owners. You have to go right through brokers, and that's the pretty much the only way to go, or the best way to go. What would you say to that? What What's been your experience? Because I know you guys have gotten some properties through direct marketing, um, and I know you do talk to brokers as well. So, what's been your experience with you know both strategies? Yeah. So in today's climate for us going through the brokers it just hasn't made sense in terms of the the competitiveness and they're more inclined to actually list the property and then that's where we we're just not competitive with what we're willing to pay so through that we decided to take our control in our own hands and a hundred percent of our deals on the multi up on the multifamily side have been off market where we've set up a whole system where the initial contact is just cold calling the seller and then there's uh, multiple follow-ups. So a lot of the single family direct marketing, we've just translated to the multifamily side. Um, if, if you can share, uh, what, are, what are the strategies that work to be able to actually get in contact with these owners? Because they own in an LLC typically, so they're a little harder to track down. What are you doing to break those barriers? So this is the fun stuff. <laughs> and the, the way we structured it now is we've just broken it down into three components. And I took this model from uh, a guy who worked inside Salesforce and built out an actual uh, what is it, sales team within within that company. So it's broken down into three roles, ultimately. We have a researcher who's the one, we give them our criteria and say, we want uh, apartments in Indianapolis, Indiana, between 75 to 150 units. So the researcher goes and finds all those properties. They find who the owner is. It's owned in the LLC. You can skip trace that LLC to find who the owner is. Once you find that owner, you then find their contact information. This is when the second person gets involved, which is the person that is pounding the phones. And then they do the qualifying. If the, per, if the owner's interested in selling, that's when they then set the appointment for myself to then close it. Um, and, and you're trying to collect, obviously, financial information, all that kind of stuff. Yes. So, so you contact, you do this research and you find, uh, let's call it a hundred properties and, uh, and your guy calls the owners, how many owners is he able to get a hold of out of, out of that list typically? I I would say to, to kind of not necessarily backpedal, but on that same question, we're looking at 175 to 200 properties and we're submitting about 10 LOIs and out of that we'll snag one deal. Okay. So, I mean, that's, that's actually pretty good odds if you're looking at that. I mean, it's obviously it's a lot of work, but yes, (laughs) at least decent odds. You're not, contacting thousand just to get one potential deal. No, and, and that's why it's good to have for us cri- design, uh, very targeted criteria, meaning mom and pop owners. We want uh, C-class assets and C to C-plus neighborhoods. That way you can have not a shotgun approach, but uh, a sniper approach. 
So you can be really targeted. So the person says they're not interested in selling, but you see that they're running the property into the ground, then that's when you do the, the follow-ups. Mm -hmm. So that is personal visits, sending them a shoe, uh, a shoe that says, uh, uh, with a small note that says, hey, I'm looking to get my foot in the door. So just getting creative. Hmm. So you guys send them different stuff like that? Yeah, Rubik's Cubes. Rubik's Cubes is another one where uh, I'll send it and it'll say a small note that says, hey, let's figure this out. <laughs> <laughs> so, I'll give, so I'll give you an example. I called an owner uh, to follow up on that. And he said, I cannot get my, I mean, my wife cannot figure out this darn Rubik's Cube. So it's one of those things, once he's ready to sell, he's like, well, I'm going to call that guy that's uh, been constantly following up with me that sent the Rubik's Cube. How many, how many properties have you guys been able to get up uh, under contract through, follow, through follow-up? And how, how often did you follow up? I would say we've gotten four properties that's just under 300 units uh, between those four. Uh, that was in the past year and a half and follow-up is, I mean, just to get in touch with someone is seven to 12 touches. Really? Just to get in touch with them. Yes. So you're persistent. You're getting, are you getting no, are you getting people that just say, don't call me again and you still call them? How, how do you handle that? Yeah. So it's all scripted out on all sales. Shout out to, to GC, Greg Cardone, learning his, uh, uh, <laughs> his methods. But yeah. let's say you're on the phone because a lot of times people will throw out what you call red herrings and say, I'm not interested uh, just to say it. So you say, I completely understand. Well, this is me going into the uh, role playing. I completely understand you're not interested. I'm sure you get these calls all the time. Give me 30 seconds. If you don't like what you hear, I'll hang up on myself. And then that's when you go into the qualifying saying, hey, if I were to give you the right price, then would you be it? So you got to fill them out on that. And then yeah. that's when if they say, yeah, I'd be interested at the right price. And then maybe if it doesn't work for you, that's when you then put them in the follow up. But if they say, hell no, I would never sell to you, then you may want to call that person a month from then. But you're always going to call. Okay. Okay. What's the worst somebody said to you? Oh, you gosh. probably can't say it on this show. Don't <laughs> don't say it. Never mind. No, no. no, no. <laughs> but, uh, there was a guy in Lexington, and uh, the the owner just said uh, submitted an LOI, and he said, "You don't know what you're doing. You're a complete idiot." <laughs> I was like, "You could have just said no." <laughs> but it's all oh, good. That's it, funny. It happens. It's, yeah. uh, it uh, the the biggest thing is it. it it gives you more hard skin. And I would say that just work translates to the real world for me. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Well, I like this strategy. Today's market's very competitive, right? We were oh, talking yeah. just before we started recording about some deals that we both know about. Uh, and the numbers just don't work. And, and like you said, somebody's going to pay that price. And, and I agree with you. Somebody's going to end up paying the price. Um, we both think it should sell for probably close to 10,000 a unit under what it'll probably sell for. And it's just, it's crazy competitive. So unless you can snag that deal prior to a broker getting in touch with them, it's, it can be very hard. I had a deal that a broker had brought to me. Um, and the, the owner was actually, willing to accept an offer that would have worked for me. They didn't have it listed. The broker didn't. And another broker con contacted them and convinced the guy his property was worth uh, about a million dollars more than what I was willing to pay. And then it ended our negotiations. Now he wants, um, now he wants like 10.9 million. I was willing to offer about 10. Um, things and is probably, that work for you? and that won't work for me. No, no. My strike price was at that about ten, and uh, and this other broker came in and told him he could sell for about you know about eleven, and uh, yeah, it, now it doesn't work. So um, that just happens. These brokers get involved and they think they can sell it for more, and a lot of times they might be right, but the lower number might've worked for 
that owner. So I do, I really like that strategy uh, that you guys have going on. Um, and I think it's something for investors, if you're looking to get into the market and, and learn about it, uh, taking that approach is not a bad idea. While also, in my opinion, uh, still contacting and having relationships with brokers. Do you guys have relationships with brokers? Do you guys contact brokers? Or have you just kind of put that to the to the wayside? We do a mix of both. Yeah, we yeah. do a mix of both. And that just allows us to have a more top of the funnel when it comes to deals coming in. Yeah. And I think it's important, uh, in my opinion, to have those relationships with brokers, whether you're going to buy from them this year, next year, or the year after. Uh, but eventually the market's going to shift downward and the brokers are going to be great contacts to have. And if they already know who you are, they know you've bought properties uh, and you're now you're contacting them, say, hey, let's, let's get some deals done. It's going to be a lot easier than making that first contact uh, when you're ready to buy, when the market goes down. Exactly. It's all about relationships. Yeah. Even when you're going direct to, to owners, it's the, the same thing. Because one thing we didn't want, and this is uh, going all the way back, is uh, the, going through the broker relationships wasn't working. We just weren't going to say, okay, well, we're just not going to do multifamily at all. We decided to take a pivot and say, okay, well, let's go this method. And then we went all in on it. And then yeah. we still do the brokers, but ultimately we just didn't want to be on the sidelines. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, I love that. I think that's very creative. That's something outside of the box that most people aren't willing to do and put the time and energy into it. Cause it takes a lot of time and energy. I'm assuming. Oh my um, gosh. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but as long as you have this, that this, what it comes back to is treating it as a business. So systemizing it. Uh, originally I was in there in the trenches doing all the steps, but now I understand the process and was able to delegate it, systemize it, and then now it's completely structured to where it's just uh, uh, overseeing it. Yeah. So, so now, now you, don't, you don't necessarily do the research. Somebody else comes in, they do the research. I think you mentioned somebody else does the original phone calls. Mm -hmm. And then the last step is you guys are then trying to put the actual contract together, essentially. That once, is correct. Once it becomes, so you don't, you don't get involved until it becomes a very, very pretty much hot lead. Yeah. Until it's qualified and it's qualified. you can find, you can find all those roles on either Fiverr, which I don't like Fiverr too much for, I mean, you could do it on the researcher side, but Upwork is a good go-to source uh, for the researcher. You can pay them four to six bucks. Uh, really? Outsource that. Cold caller, you may have to get someone American. Uh, if well, if you don't, uh, you, you may have to get someone U.S. based. So you may yeah. have to pay a little bit more between fifteen to twenty. But still, it's I would say it's worth the cost because it's going to take quite a bit of calls. Yeah, yeah. Hey, I'm super excited to announce the North Star Real Estate Conference that uh, I am putting together along with a few other friends, and we are expecting to have a great crowd there. This is going to be September. 20th and 21st in Minneapolis in the Twin Cities area and hey it'll still be warm and we're going to have a ton of great speakers there we're going to have uh, some motivational speakers we're expecting to have uh, speakers talking about a lot of different commercial real estate topics multifamily and commercial real estate so we want you there we would love to have uh, a great crowd there. We'd love to have you there. And the cool thing with this conference is all the profits are going to uh, benefit charity. They're going to benefit Junior Achievement specifically, who they uh, serve underserved uh, youth and they, they bring financial education to them. They not only teach financial education, but they teach the, the kids how to be entrepreneurs, how to be business leaders, and how to really do fantastic things after they're out of school and, and moving on. So that's who we're uh, going to be benefiting. We're going to also have a charity gala. It's going to be a fun event, and I'd love to have you attend. So again, it's called the North Star Real Estate Conference. Check it out. We've got uh, links that we'll put on the show notes. Uh, we would love to have you there. We'd love to have you attend. Speaker lineup is coming. 
and uh, that'll be announced uh, shortly. We do have a few speakers already uh, lined up, so you'll be able to see that. We've got Trevor McGregor will be our keynote speaker. He's a master platinum coach. So you're going to love this event. We are going to just have a ton of fun and learn a bunch and also benefit a great organization as well. I will see you there. Check out our show notes for the links. Let's talk a little bit more um, kind of on the business side of, of your business and how you guys have grown and scaled because going from zero units to 150 single families and then going to 400 plus uh, now units uh, is pretty impressive in a short period of time. So let's talk about your business, how you guys have scaled, how you put it together. You mentioned it's you and your business partners kind of beat the behind the scenes, I'm assuming. I think you said maybe said the nerd, the, the nerdy number guy. <laughs> yeah, that's not. Um, uh, hopefully, I didn't say nerdy. Uh, oh, you didn't I say nerdy. That. Never mind. I said that. I said that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I like I like numbers too. So I kind of threw myself under the bus. So. <laughs> but let's talk about the business side. You know, how, how have you guys made it work? How have you how have you scaled successfully? And I, I know you've probably had some growing pains, but how have you scaled successfully and worked beyond those growing pains? Yeah, so the biggest one was the property management. So we do self-manage ourselves. Uh, we did attempt to do a third, third, uh, third party, which I was talking to Todd about offline, but that didn't work out. So we brought it back in-house. But the uh, it's really, for myself, what's worked is being self-aware of what I'm good at and what I'm not good at. So that is, or what I necessarily just don't want to do in uh, my, again, back to my weaknesses, is underwriting, financials. I could do some operations, but I'm more the, the marketing, uh, uh, property acquisitions, and just being more the extrovert and face of the company. So I was able to find a partner uh, that I currently have that does the underwriting, all those things that I'm weak in. So that's allowed us to scale the operations because we're not doing too much overlapping. And we recently brought on a COO, a chief operating officer who has extensive experience on property management. Before she came on board, a lot of the fires were coming up to, I want to show my hands both up to my partner and I. So we've had the property management company, which was a property manager, leasing agent, all maintenance techs and, where the bulk of our employees are. So we hired that COO and then now my partner and I are both right here. So she's the buffer and now it goes like that, which a lot of the fires don't even come to us so we can focus on the big picture. Yeah, no, that's good. And how, how did you decide, like when, when was the right time to hire somebody? Well, she was formerly our property manager uh, when we had, I think we were at about 200 to 250 uh, unit counts or under our portfolio. And everything that we own is what we own. We don't third party manage uh, for anyone. And so we had her as a property manager. She was absolutely crushing it. The company she worked for uh, was... Uh, took her from us because they paid more and then our property management we definitely had some challenges I would say this was about a year and a half two years because everything was coming up to my partner I were still steadily working to buy and then we said okay well property management company's not doing so well let's bring her back on board and actually offered her equity so now that that decision made so much sense and yeah that that's the biggest scaling so we can still focus on the big picture now and um, with, you know, bringing on people, because a lot of people get nervous about bringing people on, you know, you've got, uh, especially as you start, you've got limited income, even as you go, you want to make sure you're not tipping that scale too much. Um, what, what, what Speak to that, where do you think the right time to hire is? Should you hire before the income's coming in? Should you wait? Where's that? Oh, that's a, that I I am still figuring that out myself. Uh, Yeah. I don't, I don't know for me if I've ever came with the the right time. I just know for us, the, the struggles that, so we had the income. Well, uh, well, we also provided a salary to her in addition to equity. So we didn't have to come too much out of pocket. So if it's someone who is uh, facing challenges and, 
they are at a point to where they are, let's say 200 units and a lot of the uh, fires are coming up to them, then if you don't have the capital, then it's worth maybe giving up some equity to have someone in there to where you can shift your focus to more on growing the business. Yeah, I think it's, uh, for me, it's, it w- it's always when I'm going, I'm, I'm doing way too much stuff and I can't like keep my brain focused because I've got this over here, like I, I am just hiring a, you know, somebody to do handle pretty much 99% of my social media stuff. Um, you know, so if you got, you know, this over here, this over here and that going on and if these are five things and you don't know what to focus on during the day then that's when you need to hire. Uh, I agree. Um, for me, every time, every time you make a hire, more money actually comes in. You, you, the money is typically never the problem. It's the money actually flows after you make that hire. It starts coming in more. That income comes in. It just seems like it always happens that way. Yeah, and it's about working on your business versus in your business because we can, well, for me, I can just look up and say, God, the day's all already over. What exactly did I get done uh, when before uh, bringing on those hires? Because I was working on low value activities from my standpoint. But when you work on those higher value activities that are actually pushing the needle, as you mentioned, when you bring someone else in, that just brings more uh, revenue to the company. Talk, talk to me about a uh, little bit about your day and how, how you try to structure it to maximize your, your, the value of your time. Gosh, so I have an assistant that assists with structuring because that's one of, well, one of my biggest, my, my weaknesses, we're getting a little vulnerable, is uh, I'm not a manager. And also when it comes to structuring, I'm not the greatest. So I have to get someone in there to assist with that. But in terms of my day, it's generally just overseeing the acquisitions team. So just ensuring that uh, the, what is it, the, the research is being done and the, the calls are being made. So that's one thing. And a lot is uh, I, I do a lot of branding on biggerpockets.com. So I put together content and actually shoot the content and do what's necessary on that. I have no structure. <laughs> really it's uh just a, a mix of this is where i want to go and these are the tasks i need to do to get there it sounds like i mean you say you have no structure i think you're probably maybe making it sound worse than what you ha- what it is but it sounds like your main focus is kind of the vision of the of the company and then making sure that the company is is getting the marketing and publicity that you need in order to continue to grow more likely bring in investors because uh, you're doing syndications. Um, so you say, you say little structure, but I'm assuming it's a lot more structure than what you really are yes. looking towards. Um, Since I'm in it. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I know how you feel. <laughs> I don't even know what day it is anymore. Todd. <laughs> right. Right. Sometimes I'm that way too. Yeah. So to tell us about uh, one of the biggest mistakes you or uh, your company has made, and then how have you guys changed and, and learned from that mistake? So I would say on our second multifamily deal, uh, complete transparency, we did not raise enough capital to take, to take care of the improvements. So that's one thing that we're getting through is most of those were having to come out of pocket to be able to, to service the property because we didn't raise it up front. The numbers were a little bit tight. So that was a huge learning lesson on that. Did you guys do a capital call on that? No, we did not. So, so then when you had that shortfall, what was the conversation with the investors? Was it we're short on capital we're going to put the rest into it. Is that what you did? Or how did you come up with that money? Yeah, so it was actually we infuse our own capital into the deal. And we did have, uh, I'm trying to think if my partner had that conversation with the investors. I know that he mentioned, I'm sure he did have a conversation with a monthly update that he normally does and also a quarterly update. But it was one of those things, yeah, that we said, hey, we're, we're putting this amount of capital to get through the additional renovations that are needed to, to 
upgrade the properties to get those uh, increased rents. Do you, uh, and you might not know the answer to this if you're not dealing with that, the investors directly and your partner is, but um, do you remember with uh, infusing more capital, if there was any, you know, I guess, what was the investor reaction to that? To not, to not having enough of a budget uh, to begin with? Was it, did they understand where you're coming from or, or was there difficulty with that? There was a little bit of uh, difficulty because that first year we weren't able to hit the preferred return, which preferred return is just simply, let's say we have an 8% pref, uh, for that year, I believe we were at 7% or just under 8%. So that following 1% accrues the next year to where we have to get them 9%. And of yep. course, there's a split over that, but we weren't able to get to that split. So that was one of those, uh, we, we definitely got some pushback in terms of, hey, you guys, we didn't hit the prep this year. And it was more of, hey, we uh, misjudged the amount of capital that it needed. Also, the uh, occupancy wasn't where we wanted to be what what we had in our performa so those were things that we learned with moving forward to our other deals is I, I don't and I want your feedback on this too Titus can you ever be too conservative because there's always things that seem to come up yeah and there's that fine balance right I mean you could could you be too conservative sure but you have to you have to be realistic, but things come up like you said. And sometimes you have to infuse more capital. I've got a deal right now that we closed on that there was several things that nobody could have ever predicted. We had in the middle of the street, which was it was from just after the the city take, so it was our side. Uh, a pipe burst, it flooded four units inside. We had to dig up the street and, and the, you know, dig up the, the grass, repair that pipe. It had been flowing. It was over, was it over Easter weekend? Um, it was something oh, like Easter gosh. weekend or something like that. So it had been flowing for days into the units, destroyed the units. And then, you know, so overall, it ended up costing us like 60 grand. Um, nothing anybody could have done about that. We did there's no way we would have been able to know about it. Um, and so there's certain things that just happen to properties. You know, of course, that causes vacancy. So in the scheme of things, it was even probably more than that. So can you be too conservative? I mean, you can always try to plan for, for more. I think you're right in, okay, we made a mistake this time. The next property, we're going to probably over budget. You know, as exactly. I, as I've done every multifamily deal I've done, I continually kind of tweak my budget and give myself more of a buffer every time. It seems like I'm like, okay, I think I can get this done for six grand a unit. I'm going to budget, you know, eight grand a unit uh, or 60, 6,900 or whatever it is, but I'm going to budget more because you're always coming into random stuff. And I think as long as you're, in my opinion, transparent with your investors, they might not be excited about it, but they're going to be, for the most part, understanding about it. At least that's my opinion. Yeah, versus uh, getting blind, not necessarily blindsided, but not disclosing it and they end up finding through some other method. Then, yeah, they're eventually going to find it unless yes. you're like cooking your books and then that's a whole nother issue. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you don't want to do that. But, yeah, that, that you might end up in jail. But, um, but yeah, uh, they're going to find out. They're going to see your capital improvements. They're going to see your maintenance and repairs. And they're going to see the cash flow and the lack of distributions and all that kind of stuff. So why not be upfront and honest with them before the year numbers come out and before all the reports come out? Why don't we say, hey, this is what happened. Here's where we're at. And this is what we're going to do to correct it. And, and I've, I've ran into that uh, before and you just, you know, you just got to be honest, I think. I agree. It's all about, and yeah, that, that's what it comes down to relationship based again, because those investors are going to want to invest. That, that's what we've experienced is the investors we have tend to just uh, repeat. So yeah. if you're honest, transparent, then it's uh, ultimately long-term in this business. Yep, exactly. Um, so 
for someone that's trying to get to, to the next level, you know, go from whatever, five single families, one single family, one multifamily and, and grow that scale, what are maybe three key things that you think uh, they need to do in order to be successful? Gosh, the, the one thing that really helped me, well, one of out of the three is I found a, a mentor that helped tremendously. That's a whole nother story in itself, how I was able to, well, I found that individual at a CrossFit gym and kept overhearing his conversations and approached him and said, hey, what do you need? Uh, I'm willing to help. Don't even have to pay me. So that's how that relationship started. And some people thought I was crazy for working for free. But you think of the amount of knowledge that I was able to get in the three years of working for him from uh, working with him, uh, the 20 years experience, it just compacted that. So that was the biggest one. And then the second is finding someone that uh, compliment, compliments your weaknesses. That has always helped for me tremendously to my, you could say, God-given talents or things that I'm just naturally good at to stay all in on those and find someone else to put in the other areas. And then the third is uh, relationships. Uh, no, that's a little cheesy. I'm trying to think of something else. <laughs> is uh, working on the business versus within the business yeah. is always a great one. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Um, the, Favorite book or, yeah, favorite book. What's your favorite book? Gosh. I'm trying to think. I, I'm just going to think of one. I, one I just read recently. Well, actually, it was a couple months back. But it was Shoe Dog by uh, Phil Knight. So the founder of, what you, the, the founder of Nike. Yep. So that was a really great book to, I really like looking at, well, watching documentaries and also reading biographies, especially of someone who's owned a company and built it at scale the way he has, because you really get into the trenches of their type of thinking and actually how they went from zero to where they're at now. So I thought that was a really cool book. Cool. Cool. Um, okay. Two more questions. You got time? Oh yeah, let's roll. Right, let's roll. <laughs> um, well, maybe three more, maybe four. I don't know. We'll see. So, what's what's um, what's uh, your your one daily habit that you do for success? Gosh, or one daily habit you can give us? I would say training. I always train each and every day on sales. So I have a, a, a what is it, a, a product or a university I log into every day that's just modules on negotiations and just, fix, just uh, sharpening my skills. Because for me personally, I believe sales is, I mean, not only in business, but that translates to life. Prime example is my six-year-old daughter if she doesn't want to go to gymnastics for whatever reason i've got to sell her on hey how this benefits you in the long term oh i can <laughs> I'm so, like, so can hear you there I got <laughs> two kids too you're always selling them <laughs> yeah. no but i think that's great i mean sales is a is maybe a strength of yours you're, you're charismatic and you've got that uh energy that people are attracted to. And so sales are probably a strength of yours, but you're still working on that. And that's very important to work on your strengths. So many of us think we're going to work on our weaknesses. Instead, you, what you ended up doing, uh, which I think is brilliant, is finding somebody that can cover your weaknesses. And then you just work on getting that much better at your strengths. They've already got your weaknesses covered. They're working on getting better at, at that. You're not working getting better at your strengths, and you guys are only going to get way better uh, together. Gotcha. And I just got a cold chill, you just saying that, because that was a huge – well, for me, I've always been taught the other way, which, of course, if that person was possibly just selling – that was through their book, and they were selling the course on the back end, but to diversify and be, try and be good at everything. But yeah, it was an interesting uh, paradigm shift for me. 
Yeah, and it is a paradigm shift for a lot of people because we always think we've got to do it all, right? We've got to be good at everything. And that's kind of my brain and my mindset. So it takes a lot for me to go, stop. Like, you don't have to be the expert at that. Somebody else is better at that than you. And it just, for me, it's like, that's how I was like trained and grew up. Yes. And it's like, no, you can do everything. Don't, don't let other people tell you you can't. It's like, but is that the best thing for you? Exactly. And that thing that you believe that you excel in someone else, because it's all perspective or perception yeah. the way that that, per, yeah, yeah, that's a whole nother. <laughs> <laughs> so what's, uh, what's one way you like to give back? Oh, gosh. So I would say, and this has been one of my ultimate missions, because the, the neighborhood that I came from, which uh, there's only one of, t I mean, the main path that people go, which my brother ended up taking that, unfortunately, is it's not, it's a not so good path, because I grew up on welfare, Section 8 housing. And so I want to be that path, or that uh, specific uh, ideal to people who are in that environment, that, hey, you don't have to take this route, here's another route, and this is exactly, or this is what I did. So that that's, that's my ultimate of wanting to give back and also I'm a, a big brother, big sister. So I train, not train someone, but I am a mentor to uh, that, that kid who is in that troubled environment to assist them along their journey. Man, I love that. I love that so much. It's, I, I didn't grow up in that same type of environment, but through, through just having tenants, you know, it's, whether it's section eight tenants or just low income tenants and watching some of their habits. And that's one of the things that I really uh, strive to trying to change that mindset of being in the, being in the cycle because it's, it's, but congratulations, by the way, of, of getting out of that cycle, because I think that's maybe one of the hardest things for people to do because that's who you're surrounded by. That's who you grew up with. You, I'm sure you love your family still and, and all that kind of stuff and, and know plenty of people that are still in that environment, but you chose to make a, a true choice and, and get out of it and now help other people get over. So that's awesome. Congratulations yeah. with that. Thank you. Um, that's really cool. Last question. What are your three pillars of wealth creation? By the way, you gave me chills there when you were talking. So. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> yeah. What what are your three pillars of wealth creation? Ooh, passive income. Does that kinda... Yeah, absolutely. Passive income is one. Three pillars. Multifamily investing, which kind of goes into the the passive income. And oh man. I didn't think too much on this uh, question. You dropped right. the bomb on me. Uh, I, that's what uh, I like to do. Man. <laughs> I want you to think on your toes. Mm. Three wealth. So I got passive income, multifamily, and just taking my active income and deploying it into passive income. Yeah, I like it. Active income to passive. Um, cool. And buy and hold for the long term. Buy and hold, yeah. I think that's very important. A lot of people want to uh, quickly turn their money and, and that can be a good strategy as well. But, but actually long-term is, is a, another very good strategy. Is your company more focused on that, you know, three to five year, maybe seven year plan on a property, or are you guys focused on the legacy property where we're just going to hold it? We maybe don't even have an exit strategy. Yeah, we're more on the latter. So we'll have in our financials uh, to, to formulate an IRR. Okay, this is what it would look like in a sale from five to seven years. But our first option is always to go to uh, a refinance. And then the okay. second would be a sale. Okay. And what's the what's the reaction with your investors? Do they like that strategy? Or do some of them want to just say, well, why aren't we selling? Yeah, so we always have uh, phone calls and uh, better understand uh, what the investor is, what's their investment goals to ensure it's in line. If they're looking to get in, get out, then they're then we just part ways then because we're obviously not a, a good fit. Yeah, yeah, no, I I like that strategy and I like how you you guys position that we we can model it for a five to seven year hold. 
we're also in in for the long run and if we can refinance it pull some investor capital back out and that's best for the investors that that's what we'll do i, I do like that strategy i think that's fantastic a lot of uh syndication companies don't focus uh on that strategy so i think you're unique in in that as well which which probably helps uh in a way too oh yeah <laughs> <laughs> It's good to be unique. It's good to have your own why. I mean, you guys have your own own definition of what you want to accomplish. And, and that's always good to be unique and, and set yourself apart a little bit. So, well, Sterling, I really appreciate you being on the show. Uh, time to wrap up. How can our listeners get in touch with you, learn more about your company and what you guys got going on? Yeah, so you can visit holdfolio.com. And for many of you who are actually on biggerpockets.com and may have seen my pretty mug on there and ball head is you can, if you happen to have any questions, I'm more than happy to be of value. All you have to do is just slide to the DM on there, okay. <laughs> which is direct message for all of you <laughs> on there, just in case. Yeah, well, uh, district, <laughs> district manager? <laughs> Cool. I'm a millennial, so. so yes. <laughs> there you go. So if they go on bigger pockets, they can just look you up. They can type in the key keywords and and just look you up or search search. I think you could search by name, right? Uh, yes, Sterling just White. Look up Sterling White. So mm -hmm. perfect. We'll put that uh, on the show notes, and so people can reach out to you. Hey, man, I appreciate you joining the show, and tons of tons of good stuff. I appreciate. Everyone who's on here, go out there and do big things because ultimately I don't want to get too uh, in the spirituality side, but we only got one life. So why not live it? Heck yeah, absolutely, man. Have a good rest of the day. Take you care. Too. Hey, it was great having Sterling White on the show. I appreciate him joining us and spending time out of his day and adding a ton of value. A few things I took from this episode. First of all, he talks about being self-aware of what you're good at, and then bringing others in to, you know, take care of the rest, making sure uh, you're bringing other people that complement your strengths. So uh, then the next thing he talks about is finding a mentor or mentors, people that can help you along the way, people that can help you grow and, and uh, become better. The last thing he talks about is working on your business, not necessarily just working in your business, make sure you're working on building and growing uh, your business and continuing to make it thrive. So again, I appreciate Sterling and all the value he was able to bring to us. And I appreciate you learning and uh, listening along with us and take just a, a few things from this episode and really try to apply them uh, this week. And and notice the difference that that makes. I challenge everybody to do that. Um, that is it. All for the show. I'm Todd Dexterma signing out. Make every day a Saturday. Hey, thanks for listening to the show. A couple things before we go. Again, go on to our Facebook page, Pillars of Wealth. We'd love to have you on there. Go on to iTunes. Give us a rating and review and subscribe to the show. Also, um, you know, don't forget, reach out to me if you want any help with uh, potentially growing your business and reach out to John Styles to help you buy or sell real estate. Thanks for listening. We appreciate it. Have a fantastic the rest of the day. And as I say, make every day a Saturday.